Welcome to the Richard Blackby Leadership Podcast, helping people take their leadership to the next level. Brought to you by Blackby Ministries International. Well, Richard, it's that time again. It is. It's always good to sit across and do these podcasts together. I'm sure it is. Yeah. It's the <laughs> highlight of my day, <laughs> at least, my week. At least you're good 30 minutes anyway. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh, so we're doing another uh, biography, a leadership biography, and we try and do these once every little bit. And uh, mm-hmm. we are coming around to Dwight D. Eisenhower today. Yeah. Uh, American president, uh, uh, army general. Um, he's not typically seen as a top-tier political leader or presidential leader. Uh, he's usually ranked, I think, you know, maybe second tier, the B team. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what are perhaps some things about his life that, first of all, got him into leadership, made him a, uh, at least a capable leader? And uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. Uh, you know, Eisenhower, like a lot of folks, um, well, well I, maybe just kind of the big uh, picture for him, uh, he is one of only four, uh, maybe five five-star generals ever in American history. Few people uh, get to the level that he's at, like Ulysses Grant was uh, yeah. uh, made it to the very top, uh, George Marshall, uh, Douglas MacArthur. I, um, and, uh, you know, Omar Bradley, I think ultimately does, but, uh, Sheridan, I think after the civil war, uh, and so typically after some of the biggest wars, such as civil war and world war two, mm-hmm. you've got some, uh, military officers that rise uh, to the top rank and, uh, and capture people's imaginations. And so certainly he does as the Supreme allied commander in world war two. Yeah. Um, he becomes a household name and, uh, of course, brings an end to Hitler's uh, Nazi regime and the, the Japanese uh, war. And so becomes a very, very popular person uh, militarily, and, and that helps him become president. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, I've, I've got a, a biography in every American president. Yeah, you've got a whole, um, whole several section, shelves, yeah. Yeah, several shelves uh, worth of, of... And you have to kind of wait... At least a good decade uh, after they leave office to to really get the good biographies, not just the ones that are just you know promoting and marketing them. But uh, yeah, uh, but uh, Eisenhower is not necessarily considered uh, as as effective necessarily as um, a George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, the the. Theodore Roosevelt and some of those kind of folks. But uh, interestingly, his predecessor, Harry Truman, is often rated higher than he is. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, part of that is because, I mean, they were they went into the red-hot part of the Cold War uh, while he was president uh, after World War II. But, uh, but he brings an end to the Korean War and basically keeps America out of other wars. And so uh, he... Uh, several things. He gets elected uh, twice, which uh, after World War II, there's a lot of times that doesn't happen. Yeah. Where, where presidents serve two complete terms. Um, and of course, uh, but when you look at him uh, in his growing up years, um, he, he seems one of those guys who's kind of wired uh, to be a leader. Uh, he's athletic, good looking, uh, 
popular. People tend to really like him. Uh, even as president, uh, people tend to just to like him, the people who were around him. Uh, but he had his... Uh, he had his challenges as well. He was a football star, an athlete, but uh, in uh, as a freshman in, in high school, he uh, came down with an infection, and it, it spread to his groin, and they basically, the doctors said the only way to save his life was uh, to amputate his leg. Oh, wow. And so he is uh, determined they're not going to do that, and the doctors tell him he'll, basically he'll die if uh, they don't, and he insists that he'd rather die than lose his leg. He's a, he's a young, healthy, otherwise uh, healthy uh, football player. Yeah. And at one point he actually uh, begs his uh, brother and tells his brother, just stay at the foot of my bed. And if I'm delirious and unconscious and they try to take me out and cut my leg off, don't let them. And uh, it's quite a dramatic uh, moment wow. in his life. He does uh, miraculously survive that infection and keeps both legs. And of course, so often you look back at history and say, well, if that, if, if, of course, if they'd, the medical advice had been followed, if he'd listened to the experts, um, he would have lost a leg. And I'm sure that his life still would have done some interesting things, but there's, there's no question he would not have uh, led all the, all of the uh, allied forces right. uh, in D-Day and uh, would probably not have been elected president. So um, those sort of twists of history where you think, what if, you know, what if it, it's just this had happened or he just listened to this expert advice? Uh, yeah. How, how, how would things have turned out differently? And Eisenhower had various things. Uh, he moved a lot. Uh, he had the, the misfortune, uh, actually, and he was, uh, in the army during world war one. Uh, but, but Eisenhower kind of had a, uh, he had sort of the, the things that made him, uh, effective also hurt him in a sense. Uh, basically, he was a, was a great number two man. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a great um, administrator. Uh, in fact, I would kind of I see Eisenhower in, in one sense, not so much as a great leader, as much as a great manager. Uh, he was a guy who could handle lots of details. He, he was ambitious, but he was one of these guys that if if uh, he served uh, during the between the world wars. He served under the two top military leaders in American history, at least at that time, George Marshall and uh, and John MacArthur. And uh, not mm. John MacArthur. <laughs> um, Douglas MacArthur. Douglas MacArthur, <laughs> yes. Um, and, uh, Come and on, if I'm correct, yeah, you know, that's uh, historical. That's right. Where's my coffee? <clears throat> um, so, uh, and both of those men uh, really enjoyed him. Uh, in fact, in fact uh, Eisenhower said, that his aim in life was to be so effective as an associate that uh, whenever he was transferred to his next assignment, everybody would be sad to see him go. And, uh, and he basically, he accomplished that. People, yeah. people loved having him as their top lieutenant because he would always make things better. He was always very diligent and hardworking and aggressive and um, problem solving. He had good people skills. And so... Uh, so the problem was that when World War One came around, the only way to really advance uh, in rank was to be in active duty, to be in conflict. If you're managing an office back behind the front lines, you're not going to rise high. Now, your your superior officer is going to appreciate you, but uh, 
but you're not going to advance very far. And yeah. So he remains a major all through most of the pre-interwar years. Uh, and so he's effectively serving other people, but he's not getting a chance to be the main leader himself. And so he basically uh, kind of never gets into the action in World War One. And then after World War One, he's a career military guy, but he's stuck as a major because when there's not a war going on, people tend to advance and rank a lot slower because, for one, there's not as many opportunities to, uh, to earn that kind of uh, yeah. recognition, but also they tend to greatly reduce the army and the ranks. And so there's, there's way fewer officers and there's fewer positions. And so it's just, there's just fewer opportunities to advance. And so he, at times he's almost wondering, should I continue? Uh, because there's no opportunity to advance in rank. I've been a major now for over a dozen years and that's a long time to not get a promotion. And, yeah. and yet everybody really appreciates him. So I see him as kind of a good manager, uh, but not necessarily uh, someone who strikes you as the, the kind of leader that just takes charge and has to be the, the, the main guy. And so for a number of years, he's just kept it as a, a great assistant. Hmm. Well, let's take a quick break here and uh, we'll finish up when we come back. Twice a year, Blackbee Ministries hosts a spiritual leadership coaching workshop in the Atlanta area. The focus of this workshop is learning how to ask the right questions to help move people onto God's agenda. The next workshop is November 4th through 6th, and registration is open now. The early bird rate is available until October 1st, and space is limited. To find out more and to register, visit blackbeecoaching.org. Links will be in the show notes. So, Richard, what were some of the, perhaps, Take us through some of the major points in, in Eisenhower's career. Um, what really solidified his leadership, uh, for better or worse? Well, as I said, he was a great lieutenant. And so at one point, he is uh, the right-hand man for uh, George Marshall. And uh, Marshall is really the top military man. And mm -hmm. so when it comes to looking for a supreme allied commander, he's the obvious choice. And in a very famous uh account, uh, Franklin Roosevelt uh, looks to Marshall and, and basically he, Mar Roosevelt has to decide who's going to be the top American general for the D-Day and that invasion. And uh, it should be Marshall. It's his opportunity. He's he's not led active soldiers as well for, for many, many years. And this is his great, the greatest uh, leadership role that any military officer is going to have in that generation. And, uh, and so, but, but Marshall, the Supreme military man won't, won't say he wants the job. And so he makes Roosevelt have to decide. And ultimately Roosevelt just says, I couldn't sleep at night if Marshall was over there in Europe, I need him here with me. And so what happens is then Marshall's Lieutenant Eisenhower gets a chance. And so basically because his Eisenhower's boss was so indispensable <laughs> that Eisenhower ends up getting the, the most coveted role in World War II for an American military man. But, uh, but if you watch Eisenhower just as a leader, uh, so much of what Eisenhower is doing is managing various generals under him. So, for instance, he has to deal with George Patton. Patton is one of the most aggressive military leaders of all time. Uh, Foul-mouthed, aggressive, spontaneous, uh, uh, always getting himself into trouble. 
Yeah. Uh, he's got the British uh, Field Marshal Montgomery, who's very aristocratic and arrogant and uh, obnoxious. And so he's always dealing with these uh, enormous personalities under him. <laughs> and so, so much of what he does, uh, a lot of people kind of criticize him um, when he was leading the army himself in North Africa and then in Italy. Uh, Eisenhower actually, several of his initial battles, um, he lost uh, and uh, his army got chewed up. And military strategists tend to look at his leadership as being quite conservative um, because he spent so many years dealing with logistics and transportation and communication and so on. He, um, he, he seems almost, he leads with that. Whereas yeah. a, a, a Patton looked at how do we attack? Right. Where, where can we strike the enemy? And where it Eisenhower hurts. tended to be, well, let's not extend, overextend our supply train and our fuel supplies and so on. And let's keep my the various generals uh, happy and not fighting among themselves. And so if you look at Eisenhower, uh, he's got some great people, aggressive people working under him, but he's not necessarily, he's never seen as very aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tends to be much more cautious and careful and uh, conservative. And so he ultimately wins the war. But then when you see him become president of the United States, um, he he tends to um, continue to be kind of middle of the road. Uh, instead of standing out and decisively leading, a lot of times he's kind of learned that you can get ambushed sometimes when you do that. Uh, so be careful, be cautious. Don't don't uh, get too aggressive. And so so you would say he was risk averse. He was fairly risk averse. Um, and uh, and so for instance, uh, now and sometimes that's maybe good for instance mm-hmm. uh in his day in the 1950s when he's president and uh the soviet union gets the nuclear bomb there was great fear that uh nuclear bombs could fall on american cities and and at that time you kind of want a guy like eisenhower who's not uh, overly emotional and rash and right. uh, offensive minded you want someone that's kind of calm and it's not going to be just pushing the the nuclear button option uh, at the first provocation. Yeah, he's the kind of person that is just going to kind of move forward cautiously. the The other area that so two other areas that he's been criticized for as a president. One is that uh, when McCarthy is going around and Senator McCarthy uh, accusing everybody of being a communist, right, and grandstanding and getting all the world's attention by finding communists under every uh, bush and uh, yeah. in, behind every closed door. Uh, Eisenhower was kind of cautious, not just, I mean, Eisenhower loathed McCarthy, loathed what he did, but he didn't just come right out and just call him out. He didn't just hit him head on. Eisenhower's approach oftentimes was just kind of wait him out. He'll hang himself. He'll do a lot of damage and he'll stir things up, but ultimately he'll get to the end of his rope and hang himself, and uh, which ultimately is what happened. But uh, but there were a lot of innocent people that were yeah, there was forever a... damaged and tarnished because Eisenhower didn't just charge into the fray like a, a Patton would have. A Patton would have said all kinds of offensive things and uh, scandalized all kinds of people, but he would have taken McCarthy on right away. 
The other area it would be in the civil rights movement. And uh, although finally Eisenhower does have to get involved, that again would have been a great uh, place for him to, as a leader, uh, galvanize people to say this is the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, he doesn't. He keeps a distance. Of course, he's trying to, th- these are some huge titanic uh, shifts in uh, in American society. And, and so he's not, pushing real quickly he's kind of letting watching to see how things are unfolding and uh and again you could look back he, he in fact he was when he left office he was about 70 years old or so and he's uh at that time the oldest person to be american president and uh he at that point he liked to golf a lot had some good friends he'd golf with and uh his health was declining and so he was trying to take care of himself but uh, here's some huge movements like the civil rights movement uh, emerging, and he's kind of golfing with his friends. And, of course, uh, the person who will replace him is John F. Kennedy, who will be the youngest person to be president at that time. So you probably don't you have the guy you. leaving the, is the oldest president and the guy coming in the youngest at that point. And so uh, th- his vitality seems, he just kind of seems like a guy that was conservative and uh, just kind of slowing down and golfing and just not wanting to stir up anything. Uh, and, and so people have kind of looked at him. That's why he's not seen as a top leading president who had the courage just to tackle things like, a, a Abraham Lincoln did. But, um, but people also have looked back later and said, you know, in 1960, he had about a billion dollar surplus in the budget. Uh, he tried to be careful not to spend more money than he had and to live within his means. He was a manager. That's what he he was. Yeah. So he managed the American economy and government well. And uh, okay. We and, could certainly do with a bit more of yeah, that these days. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. And I think, we, you know, we might, we've talked about this before, the difference between a leader and a manager. Leaders are going to tackle problems. Leaders are going to take the lead. They're going to have the courage uh, to confront things that uh, aren't right. Mm-hmm. Managers are going to just say, let's not rock the boat here. Let's yeah. not stay the ship. And... Let's not go to any extremes. Let's not take any radical, uh, dangerous uh, options here. Let's kind of play things out. Let's live within our means. And so in many ways, that's that kind of characterizes the 1950s. There were some political scary moments as the Soviet Union and then China uh, gets the nuclear bomb. But um, but on the other hand, you it's the, the 1950s are a pretty great decade after the war. There's lots of prosperity. Yeah. Uh, Economic living in the black. Uh, you've got eight years of Eisenhower steadily at the helm, someone that's seen as trustworthy and not uh, irrational, uh, dangerous, uh, playing it safe, a, a war hero. Uh, and so though he, he represents a decade in American history, you know, that the 1960s are looming where things will come unraveled. But to Eisenhower's time at the helm after one of the most the, the biggest, most devastating war in American history uh, was a, was considered a, a, quite a, a, a pr- you know, very uh, prosperous era in American history that uh, he guided. And so. He's kind of a mixed feeling person. You, you, in some ways, yeah. you wish he had more aggressively tackled issues and led uh, more effectively. On the other hand, sometimes you realize, well, there are some folks that uh, have learned just to steadily keep your, your your hand at the helm, but not jerk 
too much to the right or left and just yeah. kind of let history unfold. So what would you say is the, is the biggest takeaway for, for those listening um, from his leadership? What, what would you say would be the best thing to apply? Well, so a couple of things I'd say about him. One is uh, that he, I remember several years ago, well, actually when I was reading this biography for the first time, I was having to make some decisions, uh, and I'm the kind of guy as a leader that wants to decide, wants to not dilly-dally about uh, uh, decisions that need to be made. And so I, I've said this before, but one of probably one of my biggest mistakes would be that I would decide too soon. I would look at all the available information. I'd look at all the available applicants if I was hiring, and then I would take the best person available. I'd take the best option available. The problem was sometimes the best option wasn't yet available. Uh, yeah. All I was doing was picking the best at that time. And I remember at that very, while I'm trying to decide, I'm feeling kind of my innate pressure to just decide that I'm reading this book. And uh, Eisenhower, at one point, he said uh, a statement I, I haven't forgotten. He said, make no mistakes in a hurry. Hmm. And uh, And he was being pressured to decide and he was not deciding he was uh, still getting more information he was still thinking about it and so people were pressuring him and saying well but but leaders decide ice now you need to decide and uh he um, and, and he he made the statement make no mistakes in a hurry and when they pushed him for that he basically said well uh and when an accountant makes a, dis- a mistake it costs people money he said when a general makes a mistake it costs people their lives he said it's it's too costly to make a mistake when people it could be thousands of casualties because I just didn't do my homework. So he said, yeah, if I am going to make a mistake, it will not be because I rushed a decision. Now, of course, as we've already seen, that sometimes led him to be too cautious, yeah, uh, because he didn't want to make a mistake in a hurry. Uh, but that also told me there are times when it's okay to slow down a bit. That it's not, I'm only trying to decide quickly, not because I even have to, but because I just don't like things left undecided. And so that was a, that was a good word for me. Mm. Uh, Eisenhower, he was 53 years old when he finally is given uh, the opportunity to lead um, and to become a general and actually get into the fray. Uh, and which also tells me some of the great leaders like, like Winston Churchill and some others, uh, they don't actually be, get their opportunity to lead their moment in the sun until later in life, but they've been patient. They've built a track record. And yeah. something I learned from Eisenhower was um, he kept on building a track record of success. He kept serving in the number two role effectively. And sure enough, when history called for a number one role, uh, he was ready for that. I see a lot of folks who are not being faithful in their number two roles because they want a number one role. Yeah. That's always a mistake. Uh, better to build a track record of, and, and it's often been said, the best leaders are also the best followers. Yeah. And so uh, be loyal to, the, to your boss. Be supportive. Don't undermine your boss. Uh, don't undercut your boss. And, and uh, hopefully if... if uh, Things unfold the way that uh, they're meant to. A time will come when you you will get your chance, but you won't have to have a bunch of regret about how you how, what a poor job you did when you were yeah. the number two or number three person. There's another thing that 
he does later in life for good or for ill. But uh, uh, Eisenhower, when he did become president, uh, he had he had uh, people liked him. He was a pretty popular person. And so he um, uh, he had a number of friends who were high level CEOs of companies, self-made people, wealthy people. And uh, and so sometimes he Eisenhower was kind of viewed as more interested in just golfing with his rich friends than than tackling the tough issues in American society. But uh, something that I did learn from him was that uh, he um, uh, Eisenhower surrounded himself with people that were uh, successful in their own right. They didn't mm. have to. Uh, they weren't psychophants. They they wouldn't yeah. tell. Eisenhower what he wanted to hear just so that he'd be their friend. These guys had lots of friends. Uh, they had lots of success themselves. They, they were they, equals. They weren't dependent upon Eisenhower for their yeah. success. They already were successful. And, uh, and you know, sometimes as a leader, we tend to put ourselves around wannabes, people that need us and uh, are trying to maybe use us to climb the ladder themselves. And so uh, you can't always trust them. They're going to tell you what you you want to hear? Yeah. Uh, they they don't necessarily have your best interest at heart. They have their best interest. They're they're still trying to climb the ladder, so they will use you to advance their own career. Uh, and so Eisenhower, he, I think he just intentionally just surround himself with people that he knew didn't need anything from him. Yeah. And so when they gave him advice, he knew that it just came out of a concern for him, and they they cared about him and. And in fact, uh, his group of friends made a, a promise to him that uh, if if he ever needed them, if it, it was just simply he was really stressed out from negotiating with uh, Nikita Khrushchev or Stalin or something, then uh, uh, he could just say, hey, I really need my friends to go golf with me and get my mind off the stress of this job. And these guys would drop what they were doing. Some of them would literally get on a chartered flight from Europe and head back uh, to Washington so that their friend could, they could go golf with their friend. Hmm. Uh, they, of course, they had the means to do that. They had the, the flexibility in their work schedule. But uh, those were the kind of guys that he got around him. And, uh, and I think it helped him also have balance and perhaps helped him not overreact. And of course, there was a lot of doomsday people in the 50s yeah. thinking that a nuclear holocaust was inevitable. And uh, he needed to be grounded with some people that had been through crises before and could give him just some real solid advice. And so, you know, I think as a leader, choosing your friends, there'll be some people that just may naturally stand out as a natural friend to you, but but also look for people that they don't necessarily need you. Uh, Perhaps your equals, uh, perhaps they are very secure themselves. And so... They don't need to lie to you and tell you what you want to hear. They'll just yeah. tell you the truth. And every every leader needs some people like that around them. Well, that's, I think, a great place to end this look at uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower. So until the next one, uh, I think we'll leave it there. Good. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, review us on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. If you have questions or comments, please email us at podcast at